Hi, I'm Jason Seaver. I'm a psychiatrist, and I believe in the infinite potential of the human spirit. And I'm Maggie Seaver. I'm a mother, and the infinite potential of the human spirit scares the hell out of me. <laughs> Don't let her fool you. She's not so tough. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, anyway, last week, after 15 years of motherhood, Maggie went back to work as a reporter for the local newspaper. And Jason moved his practice into the house so he can be there for the kids. They're great kids. Yeah. And we have a great relationship with them. Yeah, there's just one problem. Their father trusts them, and they know it. Unbelievable. <laughs> Show me that smile again. Don't waste Seaver fans, Angela Bowen here, the host of Show Me That Smile Again, a Growing Pains podcast. How's everyone doing? Hope you had a great October since we are in the last week. We are two days away from Halloween. I can't believe this month has flown by. Um, Just a quick update and what's going on with my life real quick. Over the weekend, um, I helped my sister and my dad's girlfriend, Pam. We finally went through my dad's clothes. As you know, if you're a regular listener, my dad passed away in March of this year after battling cancer for about a year. And just going through all of his clothes. Guys, if you have a parent that has passed away and you're having to go through their belongings and stuff, guys. It's hard. It's really hard. And not to um, mention that a character in this book, I believe her name is Jill, she has a parent who passed away. Her mother passed away. We'll get to that when I um, get to that scene in the episode. But it's hard because in a way it's almost like you're erasing pieces of your parent. It's like their stuff. You're you're taking it and you're you're giving it to, to whoever, you know, my uh, nephews and nieces got um a couple of them got some of his jackets. Um I got my dad's old yearbooks, um his gold watch and this um Tall glass, it's like like a, a blue tinted tall glass thing that has like a lid on top of it. Um, my dad always kept change in there and I always <laughs> would have to get my lunch money for the for the day. I'd have, I'd have to scrounge up like six quarters for a buck fifty when I was in high school or a dollar thirty five when I was in junior high. And um I just like I I told Jeremy later, I'm like, I'm taking this because this definitely, oh, and my dad's clothes weren't the only things that are in that closet. We found my first communion dress. It's so tiny. I was like nine when I made my first communion. And there's also this dress that I wore when I was in eighth grade. My sister looked at me like, hey, you think you could fit into this now? I'm like, uh, oh, hell no. <laughs> but um 
my sister was going to take, you know, all the garbage bags full of clothes that none of the kids wanted and Nicole and I didn't want to the Goodwill in, in Lowell. And I'm like, no, I don't want those clothes taken to that Goodwill because I worked at that Goodwill and I don't have the finest memories of that Goodwill, especially the manager. I mean, I don't know if 15 years later whether or not she still works there or not, but it's like, no, I don't want my dad's things there. I said, I will take this stuff and I will donate it to the Goodwill I worked at in in my town where I currently live. Because I just, I just, I, I couldn't do that. It's like, no, I gotta take it to mine. But overall, you know, it was, it was a, it was a time of, of tears and of laughter and starting to let go. I mean, we're always going to hold the memories of, you know, dead in our hearts and everything. And, but, um, yeah. But, all right, guys, let's talk about this episode. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I, I, uh, did, um last weekend as far as the whole month of October um that's, that's pretty much it my rabbit London he got fixed so he doesn't you know hop around my ankles and try to hump my leg anymore which is a definite plus also if you guys have Amazon Prime you're actually able to watch all the episodes of Growing Pain so definitely if you're Severhead have at it right the episode I'm talking about today is Season 3, Episode 13, entitled, A Reason to Live. This episode aired on December 8th, 1987. In this episode, Jason Seaver feels dispirited and useless until he meets a sad, scruffy young girl who needs his help. This episode's got a 7.2 out of 10 based on 32 ratings on IMDb. Let's see, where's the, where's the girl? Jill is played by Kelly Overby, O-V-E-R-B-E-Y. And um, the way that Jill is dressed in this episode is typical tough girl dress, which is army surplus jacket. It's almost like, how's this girl going to look tough? Pull her hair back in a ponytail and slap an army surplus jacket on her. Boom, there you go. We got some connections here. Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey show. One of Jason's patients says she is going to stop seeing him because of what in the world? Well, see when I'm going on the connection spot, it'll have some of this on here, but then I go to you know touch it to expand, and it just knocks me out of IMDb. So one of Jason's patients says she's going to stop seeing him because of something she what. I'm guessing her on the Oprah Winfrey show. Okay. The Cosby Show. Jason says that as a father, he's not Bill Cosby, a reference to The Cosby Show. Well, good thing you're not, right? Ben is dressed up in a laser tag uniform from Worlds of Wonder. Okay. I'm not sure what that is. It looks like that Tron uniform. Is that what that is? I never watched Tron, but that's about as close as I can figure that that's what that's about. So Jason is actually, um, got a patient in his office. This patient happens to, happens to be another psychiatrist. And the guy's recounting this memory that he's got of his wife embarrassing him in front of his in-laws, saying, 
prove you're a psychiatrist worth uh, charging $100 an hour and heal yourself. And Jason is just like, so what do you feel like saying when she says that? And the guy's screaming, Mom! Like, what? What the fuck is this shit? Apparently the guy feels better now that he screamed out his aggression. It's like, oh my god. I can see why Jason is unsatisfied and feeling like he's actually making a difference in someone's life when he's dealing with this fucking garbage. Okay, so the guy, since they're both psychiatrists, now Jason's who was sitting in the chair is like, alright, my turn, I'm gonna hop on the, on the couch next and you can diagnose me. Okay, so basically this episode is going to be told through flashbacks, Jason's memory of a situation that happened. Because his psychiatrist friend brings up, well, last week you said you were depressed and everything like that. And Jason's like, yeah, I was, but I feel like now that, I mean, I've gotten a second wind and I'm just, he's basically on top of the world. He's energized. He's positive now. It's... It's like, whatever was getting him down because he felt like he wasn't really making a big difference or a change of really being able to help someone with a difficult problem, he was depressed. But now that he has and he feels like he, you know, has made a difference that's really, really helped boost his self-esteem and everything like that. So he's explaining to his psychiatrist friend... All of this. Ay ay ay. I can see where Jason feels like he's lost his mojo for helping people when he gets pe- patients like this. This woman says, I'm going to see another psychiatrist because I feel like you're not helping me. And she's like, how could you know that my problem has to deal with a past life that I've had? Like, what the fuck? I'd be like, go, go see another psychiatrist, please. I, I, clearly, I can't help you. Ugh. So Jason's like, have you been watching Oprah again? And she's like, well, it's a very good show. And he pretty much dismisses her. And she's like, well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings just because you failed. I'm like, bitch, he didn't fail you. You got a problem in a past life, whatever. Just talk to him. You're paying him money. He can't help you if you diagnose your issues if you clam up and don't say anything. He can't read your mind. He's definitely not a psychic, so... I'm sorry, but it's a two-way street. If you're not going to divulge or anything, how is a person supposed to help you work through your problems? Exactly. So, the patient's name, or ex-patient, her name is Mrs. Flagg. Jason's got a little tape recorder thing that he does to kind of review his sessions and the fact that she said to Jason you failed me that cuts deep for him because what doctor whether it's a psychiatrist a neurosurgeon a child whatever what doctor wants to hear the words you failed me none of them do no person in the world wants to hear the words from somebody you failed me that's, that's probably enough to sink anybody into some form of depression or self-doubt. So Jason decides to just like, hey, I'm going to go visit with family. Ben is dressed in his Tron outfit making, I don't know what sandwich this is because we got peanut butter, we got lunch meats. 
he's making like a three-tier sandwich and jason's like ben we're eating in like an hour and ben's like yeah i'm looking forward to it as he goes to take a bite out of his sandwich jason pulls it away and says hey look i'm gonna be making dinner you're done with the eating please and Ben's like, oh, are you making baked beans? And Jason's like, yeah, sure. And Ben's like, sweet! And he just walks off with his uh, Tron gun and outfit. Oh, there's also jelly on the counter. Ew! If he made a PBJ and, like, turkey slice sandwich, that's nasty. I've heard there's, um, there's this movie I watched earlier in the year. Well, probably back in January. I saw it in the theater in January, actually. Anyway, um, it's called Ben is Back. It's got Lucas Hedges, who was in Boy Erased, and Julia Roberts. And Lucas Hedges plays a recovering addict. And he ends up leaving a facility that he, a treatment facility that he was in, and to spend like the holidays you know, unannounced with his family. Julia Roberts, his mother, is all like... But anyway, I'm not here to get into the movie. Um, he's got a couple half-siblings that are probably, like, maybe six and eight. And he makes this sandwich that looks like... It's something that's been done before in other things. Books, other movies, TV shows, what have you. Where you make a PB sandwich. And then you put potato chips on said sandwich and you eat them i'm asking you the audience the listeners have you done this or known someone who's done this is it good i don't know i'm kind of curious not curious enough to try it i do have peanut butter and bread i could try it i think there might be some chips somewhere here i don't know i'm curious it could be interesting. So there's a pot of water on the stove. Jason plops in a package of, I think, probably hot dogs. And he's pulling other stuff. This fridge is, like, stocked. You can't fit anything else in this fridge. And while Jason is just, he's muttering to himself in frustration. Like, I never should have went to psychiatry. I'm no good to anyone. I can't help anybody. And it's like, he's really, really down on himself. And... He's just aggressively just throwing food, like a head of lettuce and a tomato into one of those, like, wooden salad bowls. He's just angrily tossing, like, food and this and that. It's like, he's getting his aggression out. I get it. Okay, you gotta take the wrapper off of some stuff. He just threw what looked like a mini chicken or a Cornish game hen, still wrapped in plastic, into the oven. Without turning it on. Like, you need to slow your roll. I get that you're pissed. And you're trying to work out your aggression, Jason. But no one wants to eat a plastic-covered Cornish game hen. And mind you, he has three children. A wife and himself. Because Chrissy hasn't been born yet. They're not all going to eat a plastic-covered game hen. I'm sorry. Or a Cornish game hen or whatever you call the thing. I've tried those. I'm not a fan. The whole time, mind you, as he's recounting the story to his psychiatrist friend, we're getting Jason's narration over said dialogue between Maggie, who just walked in the door, and you really can't hear what she's saying because apparently Jason's narrating the. Like, uh, 
apparently those Franks were in a uh, cardboard, like you find like one of those banquet meals. So he takes them out and plops them in that water, in that pan on the stove. So Jason is so pissed off, and Maggie's used to this. When Jason's had a rough day, and Jason, Jason even narrates, he says, Maggie knows enough that if I'm having a bad day, the best thing is to stay away from me, as she's saying this to him and kissing him on the cheek. And she's, he's like, well, you might want to actually move. Now we go to Carol and Debbie and Shelly, who are setting up shop in the kitchen to do their homework. Gavin... 100 miles an hour. Jason, this is the last shit that he needs right now is squabbling teenagers. I'm with Jason! As Carol's like, oh, we got college brochures we're gonna go through. Can Deb and Shell stay for dinner? And Jason's like, what, they don't have homes of their own to go to? I'm sure any other day of the week he'd be fine with it. It's like, not tonight. And Carol's all like, oh, I'm sorry. Carol's like, Dad? And he's like, look, I'm not Bill Cosby, okay? And if they're gonna be eating dinner there, why are you plopping all that fucking college brochure shit? Take it to the fucking living room. And that table can at least fit a table of five people. You add two more, eh, well then, later on they add, you know, Chrissy and then Luke. So, of course, they have seven people. But even still, it's like, girls... This is not the time to be doing this shit. He's getting dinner ready, and you're set. Seri- I don't know. So, Shelly, of course, is like, sorry, Dr. Seaver, I'm on a strict diet, because apparently, you know, with the 80s and everything, all the girls are, like, trying to get their figure. What? S- stay slim? I don't know. Whatever. I was a child in the 80s, so I wasn't looking at trying to keep myself. I was a stick. I was a beanpole, so. Um... Shelly says, I can't have real food. I'm on a strict diet. And Shelly's like, oh, no way! Or Debbie's like, I'm on the same diet! Like, girls. So the, Carol's like, hey, why don't we order out for pizza? And they're like, okay! And it's like, wait, just a, oh, well, that's right. Pizza, can you call it real food? I don't know. So basically, you can't have a healthy dinner, but you can have fucking junk food. Because it's quote-unquote, probably not real food to them. Get the fuck out of that kitchen! You girls are so loud! Shelly's practically screaming as she's reading out of this brochure, like, sh- or Shelly's practically screaming at Debbie, who's, like, maybe two feet away from her across the kitchen table. It's like, she's right there. You don't gotta shout like she's, like, in the other room. Shelly's like, there's a medical school in Haiti. It's like, you girls ain't going to no fucking medical school. Give me a break. Seriously? Uh Uh-uh. So, Debbie takes the brochure because Shelly's like, it's right on the beach. And Carol's like, don't you want to go to a real medical school? Carol, what would you know about a real medical school? You're in high school. You want to talk medical school? You talk to your dad. He's been there. He knows. So Carol, like, brings her dad into a conversation. Like, dad, tell Debbie where you went to medical school. And... Debbie's like, you went to medical school? <laughs> I thought you were just a psychiatrist. It's like, bitch! What the fuck? Get out of my house! <laughs> you do not belong in a medical school, girl. Alright, now Ma- Mike is coming through. Guys, I feel like I'm shouting to you. I apologize. 
Mike's coming through. Boner's carrying this metal, like, giant, uh, it's not a trough. It's, um, <clears throat> people can use it. Gosh, what is it? It's not a barrel. It's a, a long, like, oblong, like, metal, whatever the hell. That's got a couple things of f fucking, um, concrete plaster, whatever the hell. And Mike just comes and is like, hey, Boner, put this sh stuff right on the kitchen table right next to the salad. It's like, get this shit off my table. We're having dinner soon. I want all you kids out of this room. I'm gonna play this clip of Carol and Mike arguing. It's a project for art class. I'm. This is real homework here, Dad. Blah, but you can listen to Carol whine, or you can. And poor Boner's carrying what looks like two heavy bags of plaster that probably weigh like fifty pounds each. And Boner's like, I'm gonna drop it. I'm gonna drop it. Cause it's heavy as fuck, and Mike isn't doing shit except for guiding him through the damn door. Poor Boner, man. He gets. He is like Mike's lackey, twenty four seven. All right, let the man through. Move it, bleed. Hey, Dad. All right, Bone, just put her down right there. What, Dad? Hey, Dad, I'm not screwing around here. This is a uh, project for art class. It's real homework. We were here first. Mikey, please. In a minute, Bone. Well, go somewhere else, you Mike. Dad, all right. Look, it's up to you. Either you say you me doing my homework, or uh, you got to listen to Carol's warning. <laughs> I'm gonna drop it. We're gonna drop it. Hold on, will you two stop arguing? <laughs> oh, there. You happy now? You better have a real good reason for all this. <laughs> oh, heck yeah, Dad. We're doing a torso study at Boner for art class. Yeah, that's why Mikey said I should carry in everything uh, to pump up my physique. <laughs> oh, uh, Dad, this is Jill. She, uh, she paid for all this plaster, so if you're gonna kick us out, you're gonna have to answer to her. Hi. Look, uh, So we kicked out or what? The basement's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, the basement, that should work. Come on, Bone. Let's go. So who's going to get the other three bags of plaster? Guess. <laughs> so, okay, so Jill is actually wearing a jean jacket, not an army surplus jacket. That's another, if it's not an army surplus jacket, it's a jean jacket to show, you know, the toughness. That's my guess anyway. Um... Jason says, get this shit out of my kitchen, go into the basement. And Mike's like, yeah, the basement, that's great. And Jason's like, what are you doing with all this crap? And Mike's like, we're making a tor uh, plaster torso of boner or some shit. <laughs> what? Oh, man. So, yeah, just get it out of my face. Get it into the basement. So... There's three other bags of plaster. It's like, oh man. Um, Jill comes in, Mike introduces her, and she's like, what, are we kicked out or what? And Jason is just kind of glancing, like, oh, it's just another damn kid in my kitchen. Like, no, go, go to the basement. So, Jill walks in with, into the living room, behind Boner. Not, neither Mike nor Jill are helping poor Boner lift those fucking heavy bags of plaster. Because Boner's like, there's three others out there. What do you want? Is someone gonna, and Mike's like, yes. As in, yes, Boner, you're gonna be carrying that shit. All of it. 
to the basement. Oh, Miss Gossip Queens, Carol included with Shelly and Debbie, are like, can you believe he just walked through our kitchen? Ugh. Feels so gross. Like, Carol. Ugh. So Mike, of course, is overhearing this. What in the world is he? He's carrying, like, it looks like a hatchet, but like a, in a large, like what you'd use to shave your face, but it's like ten times that size. Uh, and Mike says, hey, whatever they say about Jill is total bullshit. That teacher deserved to be slugged. Well, he probably did, because he's probably an asshole. Because it's the 80s, and men teachers always made women, girls, feel inferior. And feel like shit. And shame them. Okay, maybe not all men teachers, but it was the 80s. So. Okay, so I'm going to play this clip as Jason's like, what's up with Jill? Give me the deets. And Carol's gonna give him the deets. Did you see who that was? Could you believe it? She's in your home, Carol. So what's the matter with, uh... Jill? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Very nice, ladies. Dad, whatever they said about Jill is a lie. That teacher deserved to be slugged. <laughs> so what's the story with that girl? Well, she never talks to anyone except to be nasty, and she's always getting in trouble, Dad. I mean, she spends more time in the principal's office than Mike. And worse, she, she's not into clothes or makeup or anything that's important. Never mind. Shelly, that doesn't matter. What I was gonna say is that she's practically flunking out. So? I'm practically flunking out, too. <laughs> that Jill doesn't talk to anybody except to make snide comments and she spends more time in the principal's office than Mike. Shelly of course opens her big mouth saying like oh she's not into clothes or makeup you know the important things so like bitch shut your fucking face. So Jason's like alright never mind as he just goes into the living room for some quiet time and Carol's like Shelly that doesn't matter she's like flunking out. And Debbie's like, well, so am I. So Jason sits down with the paper, and apparently Ben's got a couple other participants in his little Tron war. As we see a cute little African-American boy rise up behind the couch. And Jason kind of looks at him sideways like, do I know you? And the kid's like, uh-uh. And you hear Ben and I think a, a girl like running and screaming with their Tron guns raised and they all run outside. So Jason's reading the paper and Jill kind of comes in and just hangs out on the arm of the couch and she looks at Jason and asks, so you're a head shrinker? And he's like, yeah. Can I help you with something? And of course... She doesn't get to continue because we hear this big damn crash from the basement and see a cloud of dust rising from the floor. And then Mike, of course, comes in. He's like, oh, this is the last time I'm going to ask Boner to help me. It's like, go the fuck away, Mike. Ugh. Boner comes in. He's got plaster on his shirt. And Mike grabs the vacuum and like, don't worry, Dad. The kitchen will be good as new. And Jason throws down the paper like, I thought you guys said you're going to be in the basement. 
And Mike's like, well, don't blame me. Boner dropped the blaster. Like, go oh, fuck off. Boner's like, oh, I wouldn't have dropped it if I'd had help. And Jill, like, punches Boner in the arm and says, you're beyond help. So now they're sucking up all the dust. How the fuck did that happen? In the- I don't know. But now, Jason's just trying to read the paper. He wants a little peace and fucking quiet, which I get. But now Carol has to bring her fucking entourage into the damn living room. They won't bother us in here. Go to your room, girls! Go hang out there! Carol infuriates the hell out of me! Because she's like, her friends are like, hey, can you get rid of your dad, basically? And, you know, silent mode with the nudge of the head. And Carol's like, oh, dad, are you planning on staying? And he's like, oh, no, I can go somewhere. Like, so he just goes off to his office. But Maggie's in there working. Oh, my God. You can't go anywhere in that fucking house for privacy. I'm sorry, but Carol really needs to go to her room with that shit. I guess the only place to get any privacy is going to be outside in the freezing ass cold. Because it's winter and there's snow all over the ground. Jason's pissed and he starts kicking the lawn furniture, which, why the hell that's out there in the dead of winter, I'll never understand. Stuff should have been put up in, like, October. Jill's outside smoking a cigarette and she's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that shrinks kicked stuff when they're angry. So I'm gonna play this clip between Jason and Jill. She says, I just came out for a bit of fresh air. He's like, yeah, to smoke. And she's like, sorry, I'll leave. No shrinks kicked stuff. You startled me. Sorry, just came out for a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and smoke. I'll leave. No, 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 you stay. Stay. Smoke your house at least. Oh, but you don't mind if I off myself out here? No, of course I do. But I certainly can't get people to act the way I'd like them to. Otherwise, today would have been a lot different. So, please excuse me while I finish killing myself. Okay, enough with the killing yourself. What is your deal? We're not talking about smoking anymore, are we? Nope. We're not talking about smoking anymore, are we? Nope. I felt as if my breath had been knocked out of me. And, and with it, all my petty concerns and self-pity. In that instant, all that mattered was this sad-eyed, scruffy girl who was trying to be so tough. Do I understand you? Are you considering... Forget it. Now, hold on. Why? Are you going to say something that's going to turn my whole life around? Well, no, but I'm not going to let you walk away, either. Look, I wasn't serious, okay? It was a joke. What's your problem? Hey, you're not going anywhere. Oh, yeah? Just a second. Wait a minute. Believe me, if you think you can tell me you're thinking of killing yourself and just leave here, you're mistaken. Now both of us were acting tough. I only hoped my act was as good as hers. <laughs> Fine. Waste your time. Let's just stay out here and freeze. Well, why don't we go in my office? No. Okay, fine. This is good. I got nothing to talk about. Really? Yeah, really. Look, I know you came in here tonight for the first time ever. I know you're supposed to be here helping Mike and Boner. I also know you spend most of your time staring at me. I know you know I'm a psychiatrist. So what do you want to say to me? Big deal. I just wanted to talk to you, and I changed my mind. Isn't that allowed? No. No. 
say. This is just... All right, all right. Just uh, tell me why you picked me to talk to. Well, it's not like I got a whole lot of people to choose from. Well, uh, what about your parents? Right. Why not? Your mom? She's... She's not around. What about your dad? Too busy. You got friends? <sighs> I only know a couple of people, and they probably think killing myself was a good idea. What about teachers? Oh, yeah. Which one will it be? Mr. Gardner in health or Ms. Romano in typing? Okay, how about... Uh... Look, it's like I said. There's nobody. I wish there was. <laughs> okay, you said your dad's too busy. Uh, is he such a bad guy, though? Is... He couldn't handle it. Well, are you so sure about that? You know, sometimes fathers and mothers... They... My mother killed herself, okay? thing for any... I used to feel that way. Used to? Yeah. What do you feel now? Like I don't exist. Like I'm just walking around in somebody else's dream. Any second that person could just wake up and... You just disappear, huh? Yeah. And they wouldn't even remember they dreamed me. You really shouldn't even bother with me because, I mean, it's not like I can afford to pay you or anything, so... I don't remind me. I didn't ask you for any money. Well, this whole thing is just a bad idea. Can I please have my keys back? I want to go back to the beginning of this conversation between Jill and Jason. Now, we know that Jason's pretty pissed off of the day that he's had with feel, you know, that woman saying, you failed me. So he's really amped up. And he sees Jill smoking, a teenager smoking. He's like, oh, no, go out here, you know, and just kill yourself. Smoke your brains out. I don't care. And Jill kind of runs with that kill yourself line because she says it multiple times. Like, oh, well, you don't mind if I off myself out here. And everything. And eventually Jason kind of picks up on that. It's like, all right, well, we're not talking about smoking anymore, are we? And she's like, nope. And the fact that she's saying this to get his attention. In a way, it's Jill's cry for help in the toughest way. She's definitely got a wall around her, which is understandable. We just don't know why at this point. And granted, she had been kind of hanging out for a split second in the living room while Jason was reading the paper. Just, you know, she was hanging out on the arm of the couch. And she's constantly glancing at him. And he kind of figures that she knows that he's a psychiatrist. Otherwise, she's being pretty obvious with seeking him out. And he realizes that. 
So we hear Jason's narration again saying about his self-pity, you know, how he's feeling and everything. He kind of tosses that out the window and really focuses on the situation at hand, which is the scruffy-looking girl smoking a cigarette. Like, this girl's clearly got a problem. But Jason's approach to this is just very, very aggressive. Oh, Jason, of course, is the whole time he's holding this cup of coffee and he looks at her because Jill's kind of sitting on the hood of her car. He's like, do I understand you right? Are you planning to take your own life? And she blows smoke in his face and says, forget it, okay? I didn't mean anything by it. She completely shuts down. So she heads to the door of her car and says, he's like, hey, wait a minute. I'm not going to let you just walk away. And she's like, what? Are you going to say something that's going to turn my life around? It's like, girl, you sought him out. Okay? So she, again, puts the wall back up like it was ever really down at all. She's like, look, it was a joke. I didn't mean anything by it. What's your deal? This is where Jason crossed a line here. She's going to open the door of her car and he grabs her by the back of her jacket to turn her around and says, you're not going anywhere. And she shoves him back against because there's pretty much sandwiched between Jill's car and Mike's car. As she pushes him back against Mike's car, like, oh yeah? Like, as in, get out of my face. You don't have a right to put your hands on me. Even in 1985 or 87, when this episode aired, you could not do you could not be putting your hands on a child. That is, I mean, I know the, the lines are blurred back then, and you definitely couldn't get away with this now. You couldn't even get away with airing this episode with the sensitivity of this topic. So, Jason grabs her and shuts her car door. So now, he's up against her car door, and she's against Mike's driver's side door. And basically, Jason thinks this girl's going to go and kill herself. And that's why he's preventing. That's why he's so, like, I don't want this child to kill themselves on my watch. He doesn't, he already feels responsible because some lady said that she, that he failed her. The idea that, that he just said, oh, why don't you smoke yourself, you know, smoke yourself to death or whatever with the cigarettes. And the fact that if she were to go and, like, oh, okay, he says to go kill myself, I'm going to. You don't think that that would put Jason over the edge, like, and feel extreme guilt? So, she's like, fine, we'll just waste our time out here. And Jason's like, well, my office, you could go inside. And she said, no, no, I don't want to do that. He's like, all right, fine, we can stand out here, that's fine. So, she's like, I got nothing to talk about as she smokes a cigarette. And Jason points out the fact that she is supposed to be helping Mike and Boner. And the fact that she seeked him out. And the fact that she's been staring at Jason the whole time. Like, it's almost like one of those situations where you're going to someone. You don't want to outright say your problem. It's almost like you're hoping that if you hang around the person enough that they'll guess what it is or ask you so that kind of takes the pressure off of you telling them. Which I think that's kind of what Jill is. This is a cry for help and, and the best way that she can give it because she's got that wall up. That's exactly why she doesn't want to go into his office because she knows that 
that makes it more real if you go into you know a psychiatrist's office you hang out here and you're just talking and stuff that feel maybe that that kind of removes that that pressure and everything so i gotta say i mean jill she's kind of good in this but it just if i had to weigh this against luke brout you know leonardo dicaprio's acting in um the episode where they confront him about jason's empty wine bottles Leonardo DiCaprio would win the award every time. She's good, but it seems like she could go a little deeper in the emotion. I, I'm, I'm guessing, I just... The, the words, the dialogue is very clipped with her, like quick and, and, and clipped. Like, I don't know, it just seems like if she the actress dug a little deeper or maybe even if I were to say maybe another actress I mean it's not like she can't handle it but it's like if I could I I can't even think of another young actress at this time that could have pulled this off so she says she originally wanted to talk to him but she changed her mind and she's trying to say something but it's just she can't get the words out it's just really really frustrating she doesn't even probably know where to begin with this. And Jason kind of backs off. He's like, alright, alright, as he backs away from her. Gives her a little bit of space. It's like, alright, well, can you tell me why you picked me to talk to? And she says, I really don't know anybody else. And he's like, well, what about your dad? And she's like, well, he's busy. He's got enough going on. And he's like, well, what about your mom? And Jill says, well, she took off. Oh, she basically she hesitates a bit when he asks about her mom. She's well, she's not around. And then Jason asked about her teacher. She's like, yeah, who? Mr. So-and-so in health or Miss blah, blah, blah in typing? And he's like, well, what about friends? You got any friends? You can talk to them about this? And she's like, yeah, they'd probably tell me to go kill myself and encourage me to do so. So basically, she cuts like, there's nobody. There's nobody that I can talk to. So, Jason's like, well, you said your dad's busy, but don't you think, I mean, is he really that bad of a guy? And Jill's like, look, he couldn't handle it. So, clearly, she's admitting there is something wrong. It's like, definitely she needs to speak to somebody. So, Jason's like, are you sure about that? Sometimes fathers and mothers, and Jill just explodes. Like, my mother killed herself, Okay. It was a week before my 12th birthday, and we were going to have a big party. Jason's like, oh my god. And she's like, Ed, I'm not about to tell my dad what I'm going through. Because he's been through so much already. And it's like, my heart does break for this girl. I mean, she's probably never talked about this. And she's got to be about, what, maybe 16? That was four fucking years ago that she's held this in that she's been going through this and of course all this emotion is bubbling to the surface all this anger that she's this wall that she's put up is just starting to slowly crumble and it's just like my girl but she's gotta let it out she's gotta talk about it because you can't keep all that inside of you for years she's probably kept this inside of her it's like, it was probably eating her up alive. And I get the fact that 
She's put a wall up. She's not friendly with people. She doesn't want to get close to anybody, which I get it. And she's probably in the principal's office, probably to the fact that either she's talking back in class, she's not doing the work, she's failing out, which, you know, Carol said, which, whatever. She's probably, I wouldn't be surprised if she's probably being told that she needs to see a school psychiatrist. Jason almost tries to put a hand on her just to be comforting, but she immediately clams back up again and says, he's like, that's a terrible thing, I'm sorry. And she's like, yeah, I used to feel that way. And he's like, used to? It's like, yeah, I just, I feel, he's like, well, what do you feel now? And she's like, I feel like I'm walking around in someone else's dream. And it's almost like, I'm scared, like, if they wake up, it's just gonna be like, and Jason finishes her thought like, like you never existed. And he's like, yeah. So, Jill, she has these little bursts, these outbursts of like, look, I, I, I shouldn't even be talking to you. I mean, I, I can't even pay you. And Jason's like, well, huh, I didn't ask for payment. And Jill really is like, she feels I've basically in her heart of hearts, I've said too much. I need to like, just get out of here. It's like, can I have my keys? And then all of a sudden, we gotta have an interruption between Mike and Boner. I get that they need to lighten it up a smidge with a little bit of humor. This isn't funny. It's irritating. We just got hit with this hu these huge moments here, and then this is the kind of bullshit crap that you want to interrupt it with for fun's sake? Because Jill's freaked out. She, like, go... I guess there's, like, um... A gate that separates the Seaver's yard from, like, another, like, a little entryway that she kind of ducks behind. And Mike is all like, well, Jill's supposed to be helping and blah, blah, blah. Is she out here? And Mike... Jason's like, look, Mike, she is not out here. Take Boner. Get him inside. Soak him in some fucking water. Because Boner's got this, like, plaster cast basically around his, his chest and his, his stomach area and everything. It's like, ugh, this is so fucking stupid. Jill thanks Jason for not saying anything to Mike and Boner. And she explains the reason she picked Jason to talk to was because usually when she gets sent to DeWitt, Mike is usually there waiting for his turn. And she's just amazed at how Mike just doesn't seem bothered by it. Like, He's got a look in his eye like it's fun for him. And Jason's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's that's Mike. I guess they have his career day at school and Mike puts up a booth that says sex therapist the doctor is in. I'm just kind of thinking, can you imagine how different this show would be? You know that Kirk Cameron had a come to Jesus moment. He he, he found God and everything, which is, is good for him. Um... Like, this last two seasons, I think it was, of Growing Pain. Season six and seven, most likely. Um, imagine if that happened a lot sooner in the show. Like, right around this time. Can you imagine? And, and the fact that he was even trying to call the shots for changes on the show and all that. And having people fired. Like, Julie, um, the woman who played Julie Costello. I don't know what her real name, Julie something in real life. Um, I'm just wondering if 
if that had happened or like season two, season three, what if it happened a lot sooner? How would that the how would they have handled it then? Would Kirk Cameron have that much clout to be able to make those changes and feel like he has a say so? Think about when that happened. The show was like two years from ending and everything, and they just gave in because Growing Pains was pretty semi bankable still at that time. But would they have allowed it if it happened in season two or three? I really gotta wonder. So, of course, DeWitt gave Mike a week's attention. Jill went up to Mike and said, Hey, sorry you got busted. And Mike says, Hey, if I helped one poor girl out there, it was worth it. <laughs> The makeup they have put on Jill, definitely, it's like a darker shade of lipstick and sh bags or shadows under her eyes. Like, she probably has been having trouble sleeping for a long period of time. She looks like she's always cold. So I guess Mike's enthusiasm is kind of like a beacon or like a moth to the... Uh, the flame with Jill here because she says mostly other kids are just so jazzed about graduating and waiting for their life to begin. So Jill is all like, the truth is there is nothing out there. And Jason's like, well that's not true. And she's like, yeah, for me it is. What kind of future am I going to expect to have? I honestly, I gotta say this. I really think Jill's acting just feels it feels kind of over the top, you know? Kind of like, maybe it's something she's not comfortable with, so she's, like, really trying harder than she really needs to. Like, to... She pretty much means, like, oh, the future for me means a job and probably a crappy marriage, and if I'm real lucky, I'll probably have a kid that's as messed up as me. So, we get to the fact, her... One of her real worries is... Is she's going to end up like her mother. So I'm going to play this clip. She's really scared. That suicidal tendencies. Are genetic. Or hereditary. But everybody else at that school. Is always running around like they can't wait to graduate. And begin life. Like great exciting things are going to happen. And the truth is. There's really nothing. Well, that's not true. For me, it is. What's in my future, huh? Some stupid job, maybe a lame marriage. Oh, and then if I'm really lucky, I'll end up with a kid who's just as messed up as me. No, thank you. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Right, tell my... Never mind. You were going to say, tell my mother that. your mom, she knew how hopeless life could be. Yes. And you think she's right? She was. Mm -hmm. But what if she was wrong? What if she, she was... She wasn't. What if life isn't as empty and hopeless as... Well, then my mom was selfish and she didn't love me at all and I hate her for what she did to me and my dad. your mom aren't you oh. oh yes yes it's very difficult to be angry at someone close to you someone you love it, people sometimes do things they do things to hurt themselves just because 
That's not over yet, but oh, I had to take a break for a minute. That is some powerful, powerful realizations there. Major truth bomb that Jason just dropped on Joe, and she just got. It's hard sometimes when someone tells you something that you know in your heart is so truthful. Something that you've been hiding from yourself that you don't want to believe. Oh my goodness, Jason, you... Mm. Oh, Jason's pretty much hitting the nail on the head with a couple of the things that Jill is agreeing to with how, like, your mom knew how bad the world was and, and this and that and how horrible life could be. And Jill's like, yeah, yeah. And Jason leans forward, takes both his hands, and cups Jill's face and says, what if she was wrong? Says, what if she was wrong? What if... He's like, what if life isn't as empty and hopeless as she thought? And Jill just kind of breaks Jason's hands away from her and is like, no, she wasn't, she wasn't. If that's the case, then... She was selfish for what she did to my dad and I. And the fact that she must have really hated me to take her own life. And 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 Jason's like, no, no, what if she thought that, like, you know, he's kind of grasping at straws. He, he doesn't know this girl's mother. He doesn't know what's going on. So it's like, maybe she thought that her mother hated her. Maybe she had, like, a something mentally go going on that... You know, mental issues and stuff like that. I mean, this was the 80s, guys. She, very well, she could have... I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose. You know, whether... She, severe depression to the point where she felt there was no way out. And maybe her husband was too busy to see the signs. Maybe he tried to ignore it. Maybe Jill thought that things would get better. Maybe it's just like, oh, it's just, she's like this. Sometimes she gets down in, in the dumps, but then eventually she kind of 
what if the whole thing of planning that birthday party and everything was like, oh, things are looking up and everything, but in a way it was just something to diffuse the attention away from herself to be, to, you know, go and take her home. I, I don't know. I don't know. And this is just so hard for Jill. She's probably grown thinking, or the last four years thinking that her mother hated her and that's why she took her own life and everything and she just doesn't know and it's probably scares her to think that the same thing could happen like I could end up like that he says my mom was selfish and I hate her for what she did to me and my dad she didn't love me and it's like oh my god Jill Oh, I just, I want to give her a hug, but she probably pushed me away like she did Jason, but my god, my god. Guys, this stuff is real, okay? This, this, these issues and the, 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 the people go, the, the, they're dealing with these, it's not someone having a mental problem. It's a dis, it's a disability. It's something that you need to be able to, whether it's medication or, or talking to somebody or something. This is a, you know, people laugh like, oh, that person's like got mental issues. Put him in an asylum or an institution or something. It's like, no, no. That's how they seem to handle people in the in the days that that other people couldn't figure out that weren't normal and everything and it just it it breaks my heart that that Jill's had to deal with this pain and hold this pain in for four years, and in that time she's built this wall this hard shell around herself. Oh my gosh! But I love that Jason is finally he's getting through to, he's he's getting her to open up to realize to understand to let go of that anger and that pain and that hurt inside she needed this and jason needed this too he needed to feel like he could really help someone and he is not a failure so yeah, Jason does, he hits a nail on the head of the fact that Jill is angry. She's angry with her mother and how her mother left her and her father. And just the state that they're in. Trying to pick up the pieces, trying to ask questions like, why did she do this? Does she not love me enough? What could I have done differently? Could I have helped, said, done something to keep her from having taken her life? And Jason even says at one point maybe she had mental problems that most likely had nothing to do with you. More than likely, yeah. More than likely. I'm not saying it could be postpartum depression, depression that never left after she had a baby. Maybe she's was dealing with stuff that has been going on since she was you know, demons from her childhood and everything, and they crept up as she's an adult and just stuff that she was never able to fully deal with. And I don't know, Jason scratched me at his throat because other than what Jill's giving him, he's just making assumptions based on the fact, you know, he's a doctor and he's just like trying to gain something from whatever she's giving him to make some, you know, solutions or reasons. He doesn't really know. 
And Jason kind of ends, you know, with maybe she's just as confused as you are right now. And Jill now is on her, like, her third or fourth cigarette. She is really stressing here. And, of course, she kind of slowly starts to put, pull that blind down and say, you know, that's the biggest crop that I've heard. He's like, really, is it? And she's, over the under the narration, you hear, like, the nerve of you, J uh, Dr. Seaver, to even suggest, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, she doesn't want to admit that he may or may not be right in what she's feeling. And maybe, you know, the who knows? Who knows? Well, in Jason's narration, he says, you know, there's a spark here. And that she realized that she wasn't just a person in someone's dream. That she was an actual, you know human being. She wasn't just a thought in someone's dream. She was an actual person. Oh, the, he says the dreamer hadn't awakened or had awakened and she hadn't disappeared. And we come back to Jason on the couch in his own office and the the doctor kind of listening takes his glasses off and he's just, he's astounded. He's like, wow. Wow. That is like, that was a big, powerful unloading of a story from like oh my gosh and I bet this guy's this guy's probably never encountered anything like this before and to hear Jason a fellow psychiatrist you know deal with the situation as this so of course the buzzer goes off Jason like jumps off the couch like alright time's up and the guy's like no 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 you don't get to say time's up and Jason's like well it's my office it's my buzzer I can do that he's like no 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 I want to hear you know how the story ends like tell me like, clearly I'm invested in this. I want to hear how it ends. Us, the, the viewers, want to hear how this ends. <laughs> Put a blanket down on me. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Oh, she sure's nice. Is anybody else around? No, just us. <laughs> We're ready. Come on and have a seat. We'll just uh, pick up where we left off last time. I wanted to tell you that I did what you said and I, I talked to my dad. And? He hugged me. Yeah. He wants to come to my next session. Well, that's wonderful. And yeah, maybe we can do it in my office next time. Either that or I'll just pull up another lawn chair here. Anyway, um, <laughs> this week's been a little different. There was this girl at school and, um... Have a piece of gum? She asked to borrow this book. And I said, okay. very well and we see Jill Jason goes out to his next session of course it's out in the driveway Jill comes through the back gate and asks you know is anyone here and he's like oh no 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 it's just us and I'm like Jason put some blankets down on that <laughs> put some blankets down on those lawn chairs I mean he's sweeping off the snow with like his newspaper or whatever it's like put some blankets down 
get a space heater out there. Um, <laughs> but Jill is dressed very nice. She's not in her dark jean jacket really anymore. She's got a nice light blue um, zip-up shirt with um, a nice blue polo shirt underneath. She looks, you know, she's chewing gum instead of smoking, which is good. She says, well, I talked to my dad and he hugged her. Oh. And she says things are a little different. You know, at school, someone has to borrow her book, another girl. And I guess we don't really, it's starting, like the dialogue starts to get a little quiet as, you know, the episode starts in. But you pick up little bits like, um, she started talking to this girl. The girl, I think, invited her to her house. So she's slowly starting to make friends a little bit, adding a little color into her wardrobe. And, you know, her dad wants to go to her next session. Jason's like, you know, I mean, we could next time hopefully do it in the office because it's warm in there. You know, he's got a fireplace in there. And um, he's like, or we could, you know, pull up another lawn chair. Um, but... It's it's good to see an improvement in, in Jill, not just her appearance, her 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 demeanor. Just the edge might be barely, really a little bit, but now that she's opened up to her dad, and her dad may, you know, yeah, he wants to go to her session. Maybe he could get a little help too. Which, and this episode really was not aired on Disney Channel. Like I don't think ever all because I'd never ever seen it until I had gotten, um. I think the episode was aired on, like, was it UPN or one of those other channels? Ion Channel, maybe, at one point. I might have seen it there. But, guys, this is a good episode. It really, you know, I get emotional sometimes when it comes to these episodes. But it's just so good. So good. Yeah, but... I like that Jason was able to help Jill. Granted, a little aggressively at times, but he needed to get through to her. He was so scared that she was going to go home and take her life. He's like, I can't have her leave. I have to keep her talking. If it means getting aggressive with her and everything and getting her worked up, at least she's getting worked up enough to get these questions and her, her rage and her anger and her hurt out. So, I'm just, this was such a good, good Jason episode. Good, good Jason episode. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I really enjoyed covering it for you. Next month in November, I am taking a, a little uh, time off from Growing Pains. We are actually going to do a Mr. Belvedere episode. It's been a while. I think what I want to do in 2020 is kind of flip-flop. One month we'll do Mr. Belvedere. One month we'll do Growing Pains and so on and so forth. Um, December, there is a Season 7 Christmas episode of Growing Pains. I will be covering that. So look forward to that in December. And everyone just has have a great rest of the week. I mean, it's Tuesday, so early on and everything. Supposedly we might get our first little itty bitty peak of snow on Thursday possibly. Like, oh, I know this week, this Friday is November. Guys, we are, the year is almost over. The big hard holidays, which are probably going to be some of the hardest holidays for people, especially people that deal with depression and just and just in in general, you know, for me, who's lost, you know, m my dad, 
I didn't always spend Thanksgiving. I mean, as a kid, I spent Thanksgiving, but then when I got involved with Jeremy, we'd go to his place. Last year, I split time so I could see my dad on Thanksgiving. My sister stressed, you need to see him this Thanksgiving because this may be the last Thanksgiving he has. But I think Christmas is going to be the toughest because we always did Christmas Eve right around that time because it was my sister's birthday. It was going to be so damn hard. Oh, it's going to be so tough. But I'm happy I have my husband and my sister and her kids and Jeremy's mom to help me get through this time. And I, I like, you know, being honest and, and, and truthful with you all. If that helped you guys with whatever you're going through, then I, I feel I, I feel good about that. I, I really do. If you guys are getting something, you know, whether it's enjoyment or just whatever, just... And I want to say thank you all, to all of you. I know I do this from time to time, but I really... Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It, it means so much to me. This has been a godsend and so therapeutic for me in the last eight months with dealing with my dad's death and also his cancer diagnosis last year. Guys, this really has helped me just putting my energy and everything into something else. So, that being said, like, you know, guys, have a great beginning of November. And I'll be back with uh, Mr. Belvedere episode towards the end of November. And then we will get a Growing Pains Christmas in December. Bye-bye.